Thank you, Brandon and praise team. Um, while they're exiting off, if you have a Bible this morning, turn to Luke chapter 22. Uh, Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at it real early here. Um, so go ahead and mark that spot. Um, and as you're turning there, I want to make mention of something in your bulletin to you. And if you didn't get it, a bulletin, don't worry, I'll tell you about it. Um, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Um, first of all, there's a lot of people gone to Canada on a mission trip and other people traveling, so... If you didn't come, I'd have just been talking to the band, and really they're kind of sick of hearing me. So I'm really glad you're here. Um, and secondly, um, we got a chance, we get the opportunity and privilege to take part in communion today, and that's always a special time. But all that said, we want you to come back next week. Um, and because next Sunday we're going to combine uh, both services in the one. We're going to all meet at 11 a.m. Uh, it's going to be Student Life Sunday. And if you've been around here for a while, you know uh, what Student Life Camp is. You know the long-standing relationship that this ministry has with Student Life, and you know the um, just endless amounts of fruit that's been born from that. But if, if, if you haven't been around here a long time, come next week, check it out. You're going to hear all about it. Um, some of you have been waiting for an opportunity to kind of give and support that. You'll get that chance next Sunday um, during that. And then there'll be a cookout afterwards, a lunch. Um, so you get a free food as well, uh, so, which is never a bad thing. Um, so come next Sunday for that. Sunday school at 10, then we'll have our combined service at 11. Also, Adam Connor will be giving the message, um, which, you know, is... Is awesome because God has spoken to him in powerful ways. It was also awesome for me because one time on the stage he said the word satisfaction, which isn't a word at all. He just made it up. And so I'm kind of hoping there'll be a few of those moments next week to kind of entertain me to get through. Um, so come, you just never know what's going to be said. Um, sorry, Adam. But, actually, I'm not. But All right, Luke chapter 22, starting verse 14. I'm going to read this section with you and then we'll get into um, our time in the Word today. Luke 22 and verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's pray. Father, I'm in no way worthy of being on this stage. I don't even come close to deserving this privilege of telling people about your word and about what your son has done for me and for them. But God, you run by grace, and so we find ourselves here, and so I pray that you will be gracious to all of us, that you'll just push me out of the way and take over this morning, that your spirit would be powerful. God, whatever we brought in this morning... Whatever trial, whatever baggage, whatever distraction, whatever weight, whatever hindrance, whatever incorrect preconceived notion we have about you, God, I just pray that right now that you would just lay those all down. Just push them to the side. That you, in this room, in this hour, in this time, would just have unfiltered access into our lives and our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So many of the biggest, uh, most unforgettable moments of my life involve sitting around a table. I was thinking this week, after I graduated both high school and college, I sat down at a table and I reminisced with my closest friends and family about the past and talked about the future. Um, after every single funeral I've attended of a dear loved one, I've, I found myself at a table remembering and rejoicing and mourning. After the ceremony in which I married the love of my life, we all and all who were there sat down at tables and we celebrated the rest of the evening. After the birth of my first child, uh, both my dad and Corinne's dad took me to a restaurant near the hospital and, and just sat at a table with me as we tried to digest the day's life-changing event. See, today is Father's Day, and like, like all holidays, it brings every single range of emotion, um, from joy to grief, from honor to bitterness, from appreciation to hurt, from celebrating to just simply enduring this day. And so I, I don't know where you are on that scale, but I know there's a large measure of grace needed on this day, no matter where you fall on it. Which makes it all the more fitting this morning that God is inviting you to a table. Some of my fondest memories with my own dad occurred at a table. There's a modest, light brown table for six sitting in a kitchen at 2381 East State Road 42 in Cloverdale, Indiana. And since it only set six every night, we'd have to add a chair to make, it sit, make room for seven. And, and we would eat and laugh and cry. And, and, you know, occasionally there'd be conflict, but it'd be squelched quickly. Jokes were told. Stories were shared. I have vivid memories of my time at the table. Um, one of the most vivid, though, is... is um, is actually a, a personal flaw of my father's. And I had a great father, I want you to know that, but he would never tell you he's perfect. And, and I'm going to tell you one way that he isn't this morning. Um, so I get some joy in that. Uh, but one of the things that, one of my dad's greatest pet peeves is biting his tongue. Right? And, and my dad's a pretty docile, pretty calm person. But he'll, if he bites his tongue, he will just erupt quicker than anybody I've ever seen. The hand will slam against the table, the silverware will shake everywhere. You know, and I mean, he just gathers everyone's attention. Right? And, and every time this happened, it happened at least a dozen times growing up. I don't know why, I don't know who bites a tongue that much, you know. Maybe you should learn how to chew. Um, but each time it happened, there was this large range of reactions. Mom was always kind of disgusted and a little bit embarrassed. Um, my little sisters were just terrified. They just froze. Uh, my brothers would sit in awkward silence. And since I'm the jerk of the family, I found it hilarious. And I just laughed every time. Um, but I can own that. I've always been the jerk of the family. Um, but you see, it's just... It's those stories, those stories, the good, the bad, all the, everything. What happened was at that table, we just shared life around the table. Imperfections, good qualities, good stories, bad stories, whatever. We just shared life. And, and not intentionally, at least not by us kids. But you see, just sharing life is just something that happens at a table. You can't help it. And so I, I stand for you today grateful to the commitment my parents made to the table because so much of who I am and so much of what God has formed in me began and is a result of all that time at the table. To this day, whenever I go back and visit my parents at their house, I find myself, without even thinking about it, just walking in the kitchen and flopping down at that exact same chair at the exact same end of the table that was mine every night. You see, I didn't earn my spot at that table. I didn't work for or pay for that food. I didn't cook it. I didn't prepare it. The very least I ever did was clean up afterwards. See, that's the thing about a table, though. When, when done in the way God intended, a table is never earned. It's never about deserving to be there. It's just all about grace. 
And so it's no surprise to me that on the night before Jesus Christ went to the cross, the night before, everything would change for his disciples. He says, guys, let's, let's come to a table. To this secluded, intimate environment where they get his undivided attention as they share a meal together. And it was on that night, in, in that process, in, in that environment where Jesus instituted a meal that his followers have been commanded to take part in ever since. And, and we get that privilege this morning. But you see, the heart of communion isn't that it's a command. It, it's, the heart of communion isn't even that it's a reminder. The heart of communion is this, that God's heart is to invite you to a table with him. I don't know if you know this, but, but the table is a theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. Uh, we won't even come close to unpacking it all today, but just know this, that, that this image of a table keeps coming up. It, it permeates to the pages of both the Old and New Testament over and over and over again. And if you know the heart of God, and you know the way a table should function, then that should really be of no surprise to you. Because, you see, the first thing a table is, it's just a call. It's an invite to community. It's, it's a call to belong. It's a, it's a call to be a part of something bigger than just you. It's a call to, to know and be known, to invest in and be invested in, to love and be loved, which is part of God's design for you, his intrinsic design for you. It's how he made you, you see. Whether you recognize it or not, he made you with this deep need inside of you for community, this deep need for others in your life. And then if you ignore that need, your soul over time will wither up and become parched and bitter. And you will look back on your life and in your wake will be one estranged relationship after another. But you see, at a table, you, you come as you are. Tables don't have a list of qualifying exemptions. No, you come no matter what kind of day you had. You come carrying whatever burdens that day or season of life has given you, and, and everyone has a chair. We all had spots at the table. When we ran out of room, we just got another chair. When someone had a joyous day or a major accomplishment or a big moment, everyone at the table would rejoice to them when someone had another type of day, one of those days that life can certainly bring. And the table mourned with them. I remember one evening when I was 14 years old, it was a really uh, defining moment in my life because the night before, two of my best friends had died in a plane crash with the rest of their family and, and over 100 other people. Um, and being 14, I didn't really know what was going on, um, but I certainly felt the pain of it. You know, at, at the table that night, I, I felt, I, I could tell that the tears were going to well up in my eyes. And for some petty, prideful reason, I never want to let my brothers see me cry, ever, um, I guess when you're the youngest, there's a certain facade you feel the need to project. Uh, but at a table, you see, you're exposed. At the table, you're open to all who are with you. There's, there's nowhere to hide. So when it was clear that this was going to happen, I just got up and left. I walked away. Later, looking back, I, w- I both wish and know I shouldn't have left. But it was at that moment that, that my dad had a lesson to teach me. So he, he got up and he followed me out of the dining room, and he found me upstairs. And he always had this, this handkerchief in his back pocket. And I don't want to ruin uh, the emotion of the story, but I've never got those things, right? These, these cloth napkins you kind of carry in your life to blow your nose. Aren't you just really kind of carrying your mucus around with you everywhere, right? And so what he did was he handed me this handkerchief to, to wipe my tears. And if I was, had any right mind at all, I'd have, I think I'd have been like, you know what, Dad, I'm good. I appreciate the effort, but I'm good. Um, but I wasn't thinking, so I went ahead and used it and wiped his mucus all over my face. Um, and so we, we, we dried up my tears, and then he prayed with me, and after the prayer, he said this. He said, 
Now it's time to go back. You can't stay up here. You need to go back and sit with everyone else at the table. And that was the extent of it. That's all he did. It wasn't a big sermon or lesson there. But what I didn't know then, what he knew, and what I now know is this. The inherent lesson that he was trying to teach me is this. This is not a time to leave the table. This is not a time to flee. It's not a time to withdraw. In fact, there's never a time to withdraw. See, I, I genuinely hope that you've made yourself available to a table in your life. What I mean by that, I genuinely hope that there are, there are genuine relationships and real community in your life. That's one of the functions of, of this church and any church, by the way. It's what God has put in place. And this goes way beyond just joining us in a room for an hour on Sunday mornings. You see, we have, we have fellowship meals here where we gather as a body of table. We have small group ministries where people gather in homes and they study God's word and they share life while doing so around a table. We have Sunday school classes and, and youth groups and young adult ministries that function in that same way. And I hope, I hope you are taking advantage of the community that it's available to you. I hope that you're putting effort into that. I hope you are. I hope that you're freeing your schedule and making it a priority. I, and I hope it's not one of the things, one of your very first things you drop when life gets busy or stressful or hard. So I hope that you're in community around here because when the crisis comes, and, and it will come, you'll have people around you who will come and sit with you and linger with you and be with you. Because what happens a lot of times is people don't make themselves available to community and then they complain that they don't feel a part of it. And sometimes people will wait until the crisis to come to realize their need for community, but really by then it's, it's too late. And the reason God invites all of us to a table is that he is inviting us to experience community and to remind us that there's never a time to flee that. That's why he brings us together. So that we may then turn and implement other tables in our lives as well. And he brings us to his table also so that we can know and relate with him. To come and eat with joy and linger in his presence for a moment. You see, though this experience is certainly heightened at communion, it's offered to us at every table we sit at. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in his book, Life Together, about this daily practice that you and I all take part in of just eating at a table. He wrote this, he said, People should not eat the bread of sorrows. Rather, the Bible says, eat thy bread with joy. And this is the key line. He writes, God cannot endure that unfestive, mirthless attitude of ours in which we eat our bread in sorrow with pretentious, busy haste. If I could wrap up life in the 21st century for you in one sentence, pretentious, busy haste is a pretty good one. Bonhoeffer continues, through our daily meals, God is calling us to rejoice, to keep holiday even in the midst of our work. By the way, Bonhoeffer wrote those words while leading an underground sermon, ser- seminary in Nazi Germany being persecuted by the same group who would eventually kill him. So it's not like he didn't have anything to worry about. But even facing that, his exhortation to us was, hey, slow down. Linger. Eat your bread with joy. The bread that Jesus calls our daily bread, the bread that, that though it didn't fall from heaven, we know it comes from God, to be invited to God's table and then turn and to invite him to ours reminds us of the simple fact our provision is from him. 
Just as every single night I sat at my parents' table and I ate bread that I did not make and I did not earn and I did not create, that fact, that reality remains true for me today even though I'm an employed adult. Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. So we reject the notion of eating with pretentious busy haste, never recognizing the giver. Listen, I, I know life moves at an incredible pace. And, and the tables in our lives are constantly changing. It was just Corinne and I, our, our table was, was organized and it was neat and it was clean. Now that there are two more chairs filled, I'll just be honest with you, it's messy and stained and chaotic. But you know, I think God likes a messy table. And the tables in our lives aren't just changing, but they also come and go. They appear and recede faster than we can even notice it. And so I wonder this morning, are you getting enough time around the table with the people you love in your life? I hope you are. I mentioned to you that the Bible says a lot about tables. Back towards the start of it, way back in Israel history, God tells his people to build a tent. Okay, and this tent was called the tabernacle, and, and the, the design of this tent was to show this, this small, nomadic, traveling nation that God, his desire was to be with his people always. And since they, were mo- they moved a lot, they, they, there wasn't a, hardly any furniture in this tent, but it did have a table. In the book of Exodus, God gives these really specific instructions on how it was to be built, the exact size. It wasn't that big, but it was so valuable to God that he told them that the table needs to be comploded, uh, com- completely coated in gold. And then God tells them that on this table they were just supposed to put a pitcher there for wine. And then he says, put the bread of presence on this table before me at all times. Now has anyone ever smelled fresh baked homemade bread? There's nothing like it. Right? To this day, when, whenever Corinne makes some bread, the, the aroma fills the entire house. And growing up, uh, my grandparents lived in Arkansas. And I, every summer, a favorite week of the summer was the summer that we'd head down there for a visit. And the week was just packed with all kinds of fun stuff. But there was always one night every year uh, during our stay when Grandma would make fresh banana bread. Right? And I always looked forward to banana bread night. And I always knew when it was banana bread night when I came in from outside long before dinner because that sweet aroma filled the house. Now, there have been dinners and, and church pitchings and other things in my life Uh, since that time where I've cut into what I thought was banana bread only to find that someone had made zucchini bread which is quite simply not what God has intended okay and so I'm just gonna let you know now it's just this is for free it's not part of the sermon but if you've ever made zucchini bread and made it look like banana bread you need to repent of your sins immediately about the only thing worse I can think of is rooting for the St. Louis Cardinals Um, so you know you got to deal with that as well Um, but you see this bread in the tent Right? This, this bread on God's table was given a wonderful name. God called it the bread of presence. It was bread to declare, God is here. You're, you're not alone, my children. I'm here. Leviticus tells us that there were to be 12 loaves of bread on this table. There were 12 tribes of Israelites, which meant there was bread for everyone. God's telling his people, be drawn, be drawn by that smell, be drawn by the aroma. There's plenty for everyone. There's room at my table for you. And you all know, you know how strongly our memory can be tired to smell. It was, this, it was as if God designed his tent to have that aroma at all times so that anytime someone smelt that bread, anywhere else in their lives, they would remember. They'd recall the fact that they have a place at God's table. 
To David, King David understood the power of a, ta- of a table and he was the one who penned the 23rd Psalm, one of the most famous of all the Psalms. And a lot of you know that Psalm. You've, you've hung to it, you've clung to it in difficult times. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All these rich statements of faith. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But there's this statement right in the middle of it that is often overlooked. David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now there's this thing about eating. Eating can only be enjoyed when you have an appetite. And biologically, when when someone is really anxious, or someone's really upset, or or afraid, or terrified, or worried, then what happens is, is, is their appetite disappears. When someone's in that state, a table is not a place they go. So you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And David had some really ruthless enemies who wanted to kill him. That is a a statement of amazing faith and certainty in God's goodness. See, David's God, our God, is is so good. He brings so much peace that, that even in the presence of my enemies, I can sit down at his table in peace and eat the bread with joy. The fact that God would even prepare a table in such an environment tells us so much about who he is. We can learn even more about God by, by who he invites to his table and, and the effort he put forth to invite them. When, when Jesus invites us to the table, you see, he shares with us wine and bread specifically designed to remind us of the price that he paid on our behalf. This is not a flippant, half-hearted invite. This costs God dearly. It is a reminder that we do not come to this table because we deserve it. We come to God's table because Jesus made a way for us to be there. You can tell an awful lot about a person's heart by who they make a place for at their table. Jesus was constantly getting in trouble for this. In his time, not much different than our time, to to sit at a table with someone was to extend to that person friendship and love and acceptance. To share the table was to share life. And Jesus did this with people nobody else did. And he constantly got crushed for it. The Gospels are littered with statements like this. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees asked his disciples. If this man were truly a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman that is that's touching him. He'd have nothing to do with her. Well, that man welcomes sinners and eats with them. On and on and on it went. He, Jesus got in a lot of trouble about the tables he sat at, and he never apologized for it, and he never stopped. And so it makes me wonder are, are the tables represented by this church, by the lives in this room, are, are they always out on the edge? Are any of our tables filled with people who are far from popular, far from comfortable, far from God? You can tell a lot about a person's heart by who they make a place for at their table. Just, just look at the room that Jesus instituted this meal in in Luke 22, the passage we read. What a bunch of all-stars that was. I mean, in one corner we have Peter who that very night is going to deny knowing Jesus three times just to save his own hide. In the other corner, well, there's Judas who that very night will betray Jesus, lead out an army to arrest him for a measly 30 pieces of silver, and in between sit all the rest who will turn their tails and flee from Christ at the first sign of trouble, abandoning him and leaving him completely alone. And to that group, Jesus says, come on, guys. Come sit at my table. In fact, I've, 
I've been desiring to share this meal with you. Come have bread. Come have wine. Come linger here with me. Because you see, the table is not open to those who believe they can earn it. Nobody sits at God's table who deserves it except for Christ. It's a table of grace. Because what God is doing is he's using the table as a metaphor for us approaching him. And the message is this, you cannot approach God. You cannot earn your way to him. You cannot earn your way to his presence. You cannot deserve heaven. You are sinful. And there is a separation between you and him. And due to your sin, the Bible says you are an enemy of God. It's not a flipping about it. You are his enemy. But Jesus came and he lived the sinless, perfect life that you came, that you couldn't. And then he died to take that punishment, to take your death, to pay your price. So that if you called on him and believed in him and placed your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you could be forgiven. You could know God. You could experience him. You could experience eternal life with him and be at his table both now and forever. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, not due to anything you have done, but all because of grace. All because of the fact that through Jesus, God came for you. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus paints this picture for us in a powerful way by telling the story. It's his most famous story. We've just given it a really terrible title. We call it the story of the prodigal son. But you see, in Jesus' story, the, the table had, had three chairs, one for a father and the other two for sons. And, and often as we hear and read the story over and over again, it seems as if the implication and the focus is on the actions of the son. But what I'm struck by is the father. And the standing invitation he gives to both of his sons. One day, Jesus tells us that this younger son decides he doesn't want to be at his father's table anymore. He literally goes to his dad and he tells him, the only worth you have to me is what's coming to me after you die. So why don't you just go ahead and give me my inheritance and I'm out of here, out of your life, out of your house, away from your table. How's that for a cheery Father's Day message? And he leaves. He bolts. And every day after that, the father sits at the table and every day he sees that empty chair. And every day he thinks about his boy who used to be there, who should still be there. See, some of you know the pain of an empty chair at your table. Maybe it's an estranged or fractured relationship. Maybe it's a runaway. Maybe it's a loss. You see, even the father in Jesus' story, who represents Jesus' father, even he can only wait and suffer and love. Because that's the power of a table. It can bring such life, such deep relationship, such joy, and also leave such a void when there's an empty chair. One day, Jesus tells us the father sees his son coming home. And so he doesn't wait for him. He runs out to greet him. He embraces him. He's so excited. He puts a ring on his finger, gives him the best clothes he's got. And then he does one more thing. He looks at his servants and he says, you know what? Go kill the fattest calf I've got. Because tonight at my table, we are putting the very best food we have because my boy is finally home. He's finally back where he belongs, and so we're going to celebrate. But then something just as heartbreaking as the first happens. Now Jesus tells us that the older brother wants to walk away from the table. You see, he's all judgmental. He's all self-righteous and bitter because he knows who deserves to be at that table. 
And it's certainly not that little brother of his. If anybody's going to get a party, if anybody should get the fatted calf, it should be him because he earned it by staying there day after day, slaving and working. And so if his dad is just going to let his little brother back at the table without deserving it, then he's checking out. He's leaving a seat. And Jesus ends his story with the father standing outside, pleading to his older son to come back and return to the table, trying to get him to see that the father suffers over every empty seat, regardless of how it got empty. Trying to get him to see that the table has nothing at all to do with who deserves to be there. Trying to help him grasp that it's all about love and grace. And Jesus, the night before he died for us, put this meal in place so that when we think about God's love for us, we think about how he works in our life, one of the things we think about is the table. I hope, I hope you're getting the table right. I hope you're not just hurrying through your life with so many things to do and, and so many things to accomplish and so many prizes to win, so many pleasures to experience, so much money to accumulate that you don't just sit and linger at a table sometimes like real simple people do and talk and laugh and love and be loved. I hope that, that you're entering into deep community around here so that when you need it, you'll have brothers and sisters who will sit and linger at the table with you. I hope that you are meeting with and eating with and praying for and loving people who are really far from God. And I hope that when you see people and your first instinct, your first reaction to them is that they are different or somehow that they are wrong. That they dress wrong. Or they act wrong, or they talk wrong, or they live wrong. I hope that you remember that the Father grieves and suffers over every empty chair. And I hope that you remember that it was sitting at too many of the wrong tables with too many of the wrong people that eventually got Jesus killed, but he just couldn't stop himself. And I, I hope that if you are here today, that you belong to him. And with even more passion and conviction that, it, that if you don't, if you're not a follower of Christ, that today would be today that you would surrender your life to him. Because it's not about deserving it. It's not about earning it. He made the way for you. And so all you have to do is come empty, offering nothing but your life. And ask him to save you. On his last night, Jesus sat at a table. And at the table there was wine. At the table there was the bread of his presence and enough bread for all 12 people. This table that began in Exodus would end on this night. It was the last time that he would sit at the table until he returns and his kingdom is fully established. But it was the first time, you see, that God's table was open to all humanity. And now 2,000 years later, we gather this morning at his table. So won't you come? Won't you come and, and enter into his presence this morning? Won't you come and let him have his way in you. Come not with pretentious haste, not with routine, but come and linger. Let him lead, let him convict, let him work, let him rejoice, let him encourage, let him transform, let him mold you, let him have his way in you. We don't deserve this table. We don't deserve to be at the table, but it's not about deserving it. It's about love, it's about a cross, it's about grace. And Jesus is there now, and there, there is a place for you. So join him. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that you made a way. God, help us to be just struck by the fact that a holy, righteous, perfect, all-powerful God would care to invite a sinful, stained, limited person like me. Father, we just pray that if there's one or more in this room who do not know you, who have not surrendered their lives to you, they realize today they can't earn it. It's not about being a better person. It's not about working for it. It's not about being more devoted. It's all about recognizing that we can't have this without you. That we can't make our way. So we need Jesus to do it for us. God, may your spirit convict them now. May the scales fall from their eyes. May you give them a new heart and compel them to just accept the good news of your son and find life in him. Father, for the rest of us, help us to not come to this table with haste or apathy. But help us to come linger this morning in your presence and let you have your way in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite our ministry team forward. It's going to help us serve this. First Corinthians chapter 11. Paul tells us this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it.
Then Jesus broke the bread into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this to remember me as often as you drink it guys are going to go around with place one more time because we give you an opportunity this morning to take part in a ministry that our deacons carry out here. They have a benevolence fund, which um, has long been used to help people with acute needs in, the, in our church, in our community. Uh, in times when they're struggling, they need some assistance. We use this fund to do it. Uh, but in recent months, uh, we've seen tremendous growth in our food pantry ministry. So the deacons have volunteered to use that fund uh, to really put food in that pantry. Um, and, and I thought it was fitting on a day we spent so much time talking about a table. And if you 
If you give to this fund this morning, you are literally putting bread on someone's table. Um, so when they sit down and, and eat with the people they love, there's actually food there. Um, so we're going to give you an opportunity to give to that ministry now, uh, and then the praise team will close us out.